Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is John Lukovich, sexual self-prez 415-458 trifix. And I'm Karen Ance, self-prez social 3-wing 2-371 trifix. Welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is John Lekovich, and I'm here with my friend Kara Nance, and um, we are experimenting with starting a brand new podcast looking at the instinctual drives in the Enneagram. Um, some of you may know me from my book. I authored a book called The Instinctual Drives in the Enneagram, and uh, I co-host a podcast called Big Hormone Enneagram that is... Uh, kind of an obnoxious take of different friends talking about our perspectives on the Enneagram. Um, and a little bit about me is that I've been interested in the Enneagram since high school. Uh, I was introduced to the Enneagram by a friend of mine whose father had uh, been friends with Don Riso in the Jesuits. And so um, I became obsessed with it, and I very quickly got interested in the background of the Enneagram, uh, specifically the Gurdjieff work, and um, subsequently uh, ancient Egypt and all the traditions that that the Fourth Way comes from. And so um, I'm hoping to uh, bring some new ideas and new ways of thinking and working with the instinctual drives and working with the Enneagram. And... uh, my friend Kara here, we just, uh, we met not long ago and hit it off. And, uh, I think that we have something that will be, um, deep, deeply interrogative to, and, and, and bring something, a language and a sensibility that I think, uh, could be extremely useful and powerful for inner work of people of all kinds. And, um, it's a framework that I think uh, has not, that really, let's see how to put this, that the whole field of inner work and personal development and relationships and, and all of the above could deeply benefit from. Thanks, John. So yes, my name is Kara Nance, and I am an internal medicine doctor, also work in obesity medicine, and I live uh, in Chicago. I have a practice, wellessensemd.com, if you ever want to check it out and learn more about me. And I have come to this world through a more uh, very traditional physician, mom, living in the suburbs kind of background and uh, about 10 years ago started on my personal growth path and first found my way to insight meditation and really learned how to turn inward for the first time and start connecting with my body and became very interested in Buddhist psychology and started teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction. I also worked with Dr. Judson Brewer and I'm a facilitator for the Unwinding Anxiety Eat Right Now and Craving to Quit programs. And after that, I then came across uh, nonviolent communication, which is the work of Marshall Rosenberg. And I really started to care about how people are showing up and recognizing that it's feelings and needs that are driving so much of our agenda. And as both a physician who has a pretty strong science background, as well as um, somebody who has been very tuned into the emotional world in both working with patients as well as my family and myself, 
I really found Marshall Rosenberg's work to be really profound in how we can look at the consciousness that we're bringing into things. And I started to become really curious about how both the biology as well as our cultural conditioning and the power structures and patriarchy are all influencing where we currently are. And it was not long after I discovered nonviolent communication that I discovered the Enneagram, but this was actually only about five years ago. But it really was this um, third piece that brought everything together for me, and it really provided a map that just suddenly like turned on light bulbs and gave me so much clarity, not only about my own patterns, but about many of the patterns that I was seeing around me. So I would say that I've become a little obsessed with the Enneagram in the last five years, and then this led me to the instinctual drives. And as a physician, specifically a physician that works with craving and addiction and is working with people that really struggle being in balance with these very animalistic um, drives, I found the instincts to be this beautiful piece that really started tying everything together. But as I was going through my study of the instincts, I really didn't feel like I was getting a comprehensive understanding of what these forces were that were driving human nature. So one of the reasons that um, I'm working with John is because I was first a big uh, Beatrice Chestnut fan, and I've been a big Russ Hudson fan, and Uranio Pai, and they're doing some really exciting work around the instincts. But when I came across John's book in September, and then the Big Hormone Enneagram podcast, I really felt like there were these pieces that were coming together for me that I hadn't really fully understood until being exposed to it in the way that John's looking at it. So I um, introduced myself to John. Um, he helped me with some typing and instinctual stack work myself. And as I've been listening to what he's done, I've just gotten so excited. And I so deeply care about relationships. And I think that these blind spots and different instinctual drives that we're working with are really at the root of what's going on. And so I'm really hopeful that I can bring my experience with mindfulness and with nonviolent communication and with the Enneagram, and as well as Sarah Payton's work with resonant healing. This really makes me excited now. I'm really hoping that John and I can bring some clarity to a field that I think has a lot of different voices right now. And I know that one of the things we're interested in is really um, looking at all the different things that are being said about the instincts and starting to build up a frame that makes a lot of sense to us and actually start interviewing people about their direct experience and continuing to learn about how all of this is fitting in. So I'm wondering if there's anything else you think we should say about ourselves, John, or if you want to sort of dive into your view. And I'm wondering, should we tell our types and our stacks and what's kind of cool about that? Uh, sure. But first, I want to say, you know, I, I want to work with Kara because even though we don't like we're, we're fairly new in our friendship and stuff um, that, and you know, obviously she's very competent and credentialed. But, uh, you know, when we were working together, I was really moved by her sincerity and her emotional intelligence. And she has a real uh, like what I would call a capacity for vision. Like not a lot of people have that where they can like see where something goes and um she also like i mean what i feel from you is that you have that like three superpower which is to like really see somebody and i feel very seen by you and appreciated by you and also uh you know to take into task for like uh where 
like I fuck up. Um, and so, you know, I think that us working like very pretty quickly, uh, Kara was like, I think we should do a project together. And normally I just say no to everybody. And for some reason I said yes. And, um, you know, I just felt intuitively that, uh, you know, that, that this is going to be work in progress and experiment and we don't have all the, uh, structure yet, but that, um, that I think that there'd be something really magic in how we are very opposite and we bring a lot of different, um, you know, different interests, different styles, different aesthetics, uh, different life experience, and different strengths and weaknesses. And how I think both of us, though, uh, especially despite my uh, sometimes reputation from my other podcast, uh, holding people in uh, what's real for them and where their suffering is and really helping people to not just heal from wounds but to even uh, embrace them to really um, to to take a, not ownership is not the right word but there's a way that I think that we all want to resist seeing the extent of the wounds that we've because of the unconsciousness of our type, we have largely inflicted on ourselves. Now, obviously, we've been inflicted all kinds of wounds by life, but a lot of it has to do with stuff that we unconsciously and unknowingly and naively walked ourselves into. And so to see that and to own it, especially when it comes to the wounds related to our type structure, is really painful and really difficult, and it can easily turn into an inner critic attack of I'm a wounded person or I'm a fucked up person or I'm someone who has failed or I'm someone who has ruined something. And I think that both of us in our own different ways and our own different approaches, uh, I think have a capacity to help people to embrace those wounds without, um, with mercy for themselves and, and to see them as leverage points for different kinds of strengths and uh, different kinds of ways of being that kind of wounded healer in the world. And I think that, um, you know, the idea of this podcast is that we'll be interviewing people on their blind spots and getting very deep into uh, those exact wounds, the real wounds that um, are those kind of, that it's like the key sensitive points, the key things that have kept our ego structure fumbling along in the dark, um, you know, that's what this is going to be literally about, is like holding people's wounds and suffering. And I feel intuitively that uh, Kara and I uh, can provide different ways of holding people through that. Yeah, I love what you're saying, John. And, you know, I'm just feeling a lot of warmth in my chest and, you know, really open when I think about um, the integrity and the tenderness that I really know that we want to bring to this work. Um, I know that both of us have our edges. I mean, people that know me absolutely know that I could use some sensitivity training at times. Um, people who know you uh, know that you can be a little socially blind. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, we can all get a little tripped up, whether that's because of the assertiveness of our type or the whatever of our type. And to really like own that. And one of the things that I think is so sweet about our partnership is that we've had a lot of conversations leading up to doing this and it feels like both of us have a willingness to really really look at things and you know neither one of us is claiming that we are like 
an enlightened, you know, expert that like knows exactly how to navigate all of this instinctual territory. But I think that both of us see that we really want to be real about it. And, you know, there's that authenticity and there's that just diving into those deep places that can be really hard to look at. And I think that you and I have both decided that whatever risks we're going to take in telling our own stories and, you know, opening up um, our thoughts and views and going into areas that can be pretty edgy, that we're willing to take that risk, that having these really open and honest conversations both with ourselves and with each other and with the people that we're going to interview, that there's real learning, there's real growth. And I just feel like what we want to do is embody that strength that comes from vulnerability. And we're really eager to just meet people where they are, get really curious, um, accept ourselves where we are, and get really curious about how that's going to change and evolve. And just really invite people to take an honest look at some things that can be tough to look at. And we hope to really contribute to the learning that's out there and to this whole field around the instincts and how we understand type in general. Yeah, exactly. I um, I agree. And I, I uh, you know, as you were saying all that, you know, what came to me is like the reason of many reasons, but one of the reasons that we're thinking about doing this model of interviewing people is to provide uh, models and like real demonstrations of of like you know it's 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 easy for the Enneagram content to exist in theory, and it's easy for all this like we all I think people that really love the Enneagram are love it because they naturally see how potent it is. But it's really easy for it to stay in descriptions. It's really easy for it to stay in um, theory. And it's sometimes difficult for it to really live. And there's like a lot of little things I could say about how I see that happening. But I think um, like one way to hopefully that the, hopefully as we go through these different interviews or episodes or whatever, um, it'll be forming a kind of... Uh, book in a way a audio book in a sense maybe uh, like but i mean book in the in the kind of the metaphor of a book of a place of learning of a of something that can um make this instinctual content uh human and easy to see and you know what i find with instinct stuff is that there are layers and layers and i mean i'm going through my own experience of this myself even though I wrote a damn book on the instincts where you think you get it and then you realize you don't get it at all and then you have a new plateau a new octave a new shock point of seeing and you're like oh my god this is the ins these are the instincts and you think you've got it and then you go again through more process of learning and you go, oh my God, the instincts are everything, you know. And then you're like, okay, now I got it. And then you go through another thing, and it just keeps happening. And so it's it's so fascinating because the instincts are so basic; they're so ubiquitous to our experience. Uh, you know, it's that dumb metaphor of like the the fish trying to see water. It's like it's like that apparent that everywhere. 
and yet it takes so, so much to see it. And that's not a problem of anybody being deficient at knowing themselves or, I mean, I guess in a sense it's literally a deficiency of knowing yourself, but it's it's not because anybody's done something wrong. It's just like we don't have this language and our culture does not support the kind of attention and distinctions and time uh, and awareness is necessary for this kind of work. And so, you know, I hope... Um, you know, again, like I, I love, I, I love everything that we do with Big Hormone, but it is more of like friends talking and getting really into theory. And I think this will be a much more experiential and, in uh, uh, a, a place where people can hear other people's examples, stories, and not just learn the content, but also experience a lot of uh, mercy for themselves and compassion for themselves and compassion for other people. And to you know when such and such friend or such and such loved one is going through their thing, uh, knowing how to see them, knowing how to reach them, knowing how to offer some kind of um, stability in the storm or path of healing or a way out. Like the instincts are so potently powerful that when we're caught in our instinctual stuff, it we'd, we'd rather die than sabotage the self-concept that we have of, our, you know, this concept of ourselves that we have based on our instincts, which seems contradictory because you think instinct is about survival. But there is a, you know, we'll, as we'll get into and all the personality stuff, who we take ourselves to be is more important for us than our actual physical life. And that we will hurt ourselves. We will sabotage ourselves. We will cause all kinds of pain and suffering and 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 on and on and on to preserve a certain experience of ourselves. Uh, and so that kind of understanding of how deep and how powerful and how um, painful this stuff is, I think uh, I think this will hopefully be a good method of of really bringing that kind of understanding, not just from the head, but also from the heart and the body. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing you say, John, is that, you know, I think that some of the most powerful moments on Big Hormone Enneagram is when you guys have shared personal stories or have brought on guests that have shared personal stories and, you know, storytelling. I mean, we're all, you know, trying to make meaning out of our lives and sort of understand like, how the hell did I get here? And why did I do that? And, you know, there's this part of me that really wants this higher thing. And then there's this part of me that acts in this way that is not really in alignment with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that um, Gurdjieff, who you're more familiar with, has talked about this animal being and this spiritual being. And it's when we can unite the two that we're truly human. And I think what we want to do is really dive into that experience of humanity and the reality is that being a human is pretty messy. And, you know, personally, you know, I'm, you know, was married for 17 years and divorced. So I had plenty of pain, you know, that evolved around that. I then had a seven-year relationship and a three-year relationship. And, you know, I think it's no surprise that a sexual dominant person and a sexual blind person care deeply about relationships. Yeah. Because this is a place where we both have our own pain points for different reasons. And the other thing you mentioned that I think is really important to highlight is that 
First of all, we did not pick this programming. So whatever the programming is doing that brings up shame, that brings up regret, that you know is a little bit hard to look at, if we can remember that we're simply this machine that's operating, uh, you know, operating off of a program that was installed both through genetics and biology, as well as attachment and object relations and things that happened before we have any consciousness whatsoever, how can we be upset that we're just running out that program. And I think one of the things I've learned from Big Hormone Enneagram more than anything is that I've always been taught that we come to our type and we come to our instincts through self-observation. And I think it's really important to name that we aren't always the best at observing ourselves. There's a reason that Freud talks about the unconscious and the subconscious, like you cannot know it. And as all of us are probably aware, it can be a lot easier to observe other people and come to conclusions about others than it is to actually look at ourselves. So I know that for me, um, I have thought that I was almost every type on the Enneagram except nine and five before I landed on being a three. And I also thought that I was every different instinctual stacking before landing on my current stack of self-pressed, social, sexual, blind. And I know that that's a lot of Bermuda stuff going on. And for people that don't listen to Big Hormone Enneagram, that's the three, six, nine triangle. And please listen to those episodes. It was really enlightening for me. And even that's embarrassing to look at. Like, where is my location? And, you know, mm -hmm. this group has really helped me to see that and understand why it can feel a little fuzzy. And I'm just curious, John, when you learned, my understanding is you knew you were a four pretty quickly when you learned the Enneagram. When did you learn the instincts? And was it obvious you were sexual four right away? Or how did you come to that? Yeah, there's so much you said that I really appreciate. Um, yeah, the, let's see. Yeah, so I want to I answer that. But first, I just want to like uh, reinforce what you said about we're not able to really see ourselves. And that's like not something to take personally. That's why the Enneagram is useful. That's the premise of the Enneagram is we don't know ourselves. And when somebody's learning the Enneagram, not only do you have to learn the Enneagram system, you have to learn how to apply a system which you're hoping is accurately articulated and accurately described and accurately um, mapped and distinctions are the useful distinctions versus maybe less useful distinctions. And then you have to learn how to apply that to yourself. And you also have to see through whatever first, second, and third, fourth, fifth impressions you have about whatever type A, B, or C means. Um, like when you first hear, oh, I know what an eight is like. I know what a one is like. Oh, all ones are like the librarian I knew in high school. Uh, all eights are, um, you know, the way my dad is or something like that. And then you have to unpack and start to see through these different biases, these different lenses, and, and, and keep finding something new. And so, um, as Kara's alluding to, you know, with, with Big Hormone Enneagram and, like, I guess, I don't know, we're affiliated with Enneagram Universe or Enneagrammer.com. Uh, you know, uh, especially Emika and David and Joseph take on uh, typing people. And our content gets in hot water with people a lot because we say that a lot of the common definitions and common ideas out there are either incorrect or, you know, that we push back on people's, when people come to get typed professionally, um, we'll often, 
they often get the type they weren't expecting to get, and it causes a lot of reactivity. And then we've been really monitoring, like what's what's the pattern of reactivity? Like why does the reactivity happen, and what's going on there? So that's one of the things that we'll be bringing to this is not, uh, you know, uh, it's not like trying to provoke anybody, but is to say that uh, people who come to say, oh, I might have this blind spot or I might be this type, that might not be the case or we might not see it that way. And part of the work is to make sure that we are seeing the, 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 the type accurately in action, right? To really to see it is the beginning of not identifying what the pattern is to really see the pattern. You can really, you can see glimmer aspects of the pattern, but the Enneagram gives us a very precise language for seeing those patterns in very stark uh, clarity in, in the kind of, as Kara said, the mechanicality of it. So um, I think that's just really important to highlight, and that'll come up more and more. But, and because um, we want to keep it real, John, we should probably acknowledge we do kind of enjoy provoking people a little bit. Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, people may sometimes notice that energetically um, we will be a little provocative and we probably will step on toes and we probably will say things that people are going to push back on. I think that we enjoy that. But what we also want to be seen for is just like, hey, this is my location and what I'm seeing and where I'm at and this is why. And I think that both of us really also enjoy having people come back and question. And then we want to question back. So I think that one of the things we want to model is healthy dialogue because I think both of us enjoy a certain level of tension and are comfortable inside of that. Mm. But at the end of the day, we really want to you know, have respect and consideration. And I know that for me, sometimes I can get attached to ideas and my work is creating space if I'm with somebody that really doesn't have capacity for my idea or is going to see it very, very differently. So I think that that'll be a fun dance for us to, you know, kind of, if you're going to be on this podcast with us, we will poke you a little bit. And we want to also know how to create a safe environment, how to, you know, open it up and really allow for your experience. And as somebody who has believed I've been different types and different instincts. Like I just want listeners to know that I completely get that and being allowed to have your journey and your questions with it, I think is super important. But if John and I push back on something that somebody's believing, it's just because we're inviting you to take another look and maybe we're right and maybe we're wrong. But um, I know that John has a lot of experience with doing this and I think that I'm starting to get a little bit good at it too. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah yeah and i mean yeah i mean yeah we want to provoke and we want to be like holding people where they're at and the like like i was saying it's not the, the aim is not to provoke but the aim is to get like clear and real about what's going on and we have our own experiences we have our own um uh how would you put it like own frame of references and it's not objective but uh, I think between the two of us, we have seen a great deal of the way that that why certain types identify as other types, and and what might be going on, and what wounds come up when you you know you suggest that maybe what you're indicating is this type rather than that type, or this instinct rather than that instinct challenges people's self-image, and there's there's certain ways that plays out somewhat habitually. So, uh, so part of the invitation here too is for people that uh, are prepared for that kind of that kind of work and that kind of examination
And you just used one of my favorite words is habit, like habitually. Yeah. I wanted to highlight that word because um, anybody who's uh, been in any of my classes knows that, you know, I just look at habit loops all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're constantly being triggered and then we're acting out certain behaviors. And that's because there's a certain reward that we're getting out of that behavior. And these all developed because they made perfect sense when we adopted the behavior. But as we grow and develop and we don't need to be as defended, these habits are often the very thing that feels so comfortable and feels so normal, but can be a problem for us. And these are hab habitual ways of seeing, habitual ways of being with emotion, habitual ways of engaging with our bodies. And so um, just recognizing that this programming is running off of unconscious habits that we're acting out all the time is just another piece I wanted to highlight. Yeah, well said. And that that what that brings up for me is um, it's not just a question of if people are accurately typed according to the material. Part of uh, a long-standing critique of mine that we're very outspoken about on Big Hormone is that I think a lot of Enneagram material um, has inaccuracies or biases or um, confusions between different types. And so uh, kind of the sacrilegious thing I uh, represent put forward a lot is that even though somebody's been in the Enneagram for decades, um, there is a very good chance that the I, even if it seems like it's been backed up through experience, there may be a very good chance that some of the ways that we've learned the Enneagram or come to understand the types or come to see ourselves through the lens of the types, the material and the content that the learning comes from has often had flaws or had incomplete under, or misunderstandings or... Um, you know, over time, certain types started to blend together as people got on panels and said they were this type, and then people write according to what they witnessed in the learning. And so um, it's kind of an academic endeavor as well in order to kind of put forward some of the distinctions that I think that that misinformation, unintentional misinformation is nobody, nobody's trying to, everybody's doing their best and, and trying to interpret the Enneagram is a work of trying to interpret what is unconscious for us. But that is one of the things that we that will 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 inevitably emerge through through these episodes is what is in a sense accurate enneagram content in at least in our view, and what isn't, and you know Big Hormone has done a lot of work on that. But um, yeah, unless you had anything you wanted to like jump off on that, uh, I was going to answer your other question about how I learned my type. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Cool. So yeah, so I was in high school, uh, as I said. And my friend, Mary Cloud, said, John, you're a four. And that's not how I recommend normally you introduce the Enneagram to somebody. But um, I told I tell the story in the intro of my book. Uh, but basically, I was like on this canoe trip, and we were, it was like rained out. And so we're just soaked in the rain. And she says, John, you're a four. And uh, I asked her, what is a four? And she described it. And I was horrified uh, because part of being a four is this narcissism around being unique. And I, it, it dawned on me that if somebody could identify my type, it meant that there had to be hundreds of millions of people who also fit my type. And I, fit, I, I related deeply to it, which is something that as fours we are uh, allergic to. 
I was relating deeply to it and I was like, oh my God, I felt, I remember, like, I'm, as I'm talking about it, I feel kind of like the nause, nauseous feeling I felt. Um, and so I became really obsessed, but, you know, I was looking online. I, I, I a lot of my learning came from um, the Enneagram Institute's now defunct uh, message boards where I was, uh, you know, that's where I met David from Big Hormone. In dialogue with people, arguing with people, you know, I, I was attracted to the Enneagram Institute's work, most of all, and, um, you know, got into the Gurdjieff work, got into, I've been, I did like six or seven years of uh, integrated breath work with Jessica Dibb, and eventually I started working as, as Russ's assistant, Russ Hudson's assistant for a while, and now I'm doing my own thing, but that's kind of like my Enneagram journey, and so um, I always was interested in the instincts, and I immediately recognized uh, that I was a sexual type just from the name, even though a lot of what I like, I was, I was reading about sexual, the sexual drive as being described as like intimacy and one-on-one. And I was like, but it's, it's sexual. And I knew because, uh, of my like exaggerated and, and, and like actually very emotional, uh, relationship to needing to be sexually chosen and attract and attractive to somebody to my to my desired partner and 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 all the shit that went around that and I knew that it wasn't social and I knew that it wasn't self-preservation and I could see oh clearly these are you know people who prioritize social these are clearly people who prioritize self-preservation what the hell's going on with me so I always felt like they were a little bit vaguely defined and between teachers I felt like they weren't agreeing on the same thing and more importantly, I was like, all right, what does biology say? And I would find that people would say, oh, well, the Enneagram instincts aren't biological. They're just this extra thing for, for the Enneagram. And I thought that made no sense. And so over time, uh, I was like, all right, well, you know what? I want to write a book on uh, the spiritual dimensions of the Enneagram as I understand them. And I was like, oh, I'm going to just blow through an instinct book real fast. I'm just going to just crank one out. And it, <laughs> I started doing research on biology, and I don't, I don't know shit about biology, but I did a lot of research on biology and anthropology and evolutionary psychology, and I had some personal experiences through my own inner work that, uh, like, I had this one experience where I exp- very viscerally, and I talk about this also in the book, like, very viscerally experienced this f- deep, deep fear, like as deep in my bones as I could, as as existed fear around my attractiveness and i thought that is the most superficial shit i've ever i could i could imagine like this is what my personality is based on this is my major fear and so i had to understand from a biological perspective what what could account for this fear like what as an animal could account for this fear and so a lot of my research in biology and and evolutionary psychology and all this other stuff and i i think i found some answers and some of that goes into my book but um but yeah, so my, my full type is uh, identify as a sexual dominant, self-preservation middle, social blind spot. And on the Enneagram, I am a four-wing five. And if you buy into tri-fixation, which I do, uh, I have also a five-fix and an eight-fix. And so maybe that'll come up in a future thing or not. But uh, yeah, that's my type. Hmm. Should I say a few words about how I figured out what I was, John? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, well, just how did I find the Enneagram? I find this to be a really interesting story. Um, 
I was in Montreal actually visiting a lover, but also attending a conference. And, you know, so I was there kind of professional play and um, met one of the attendees for this workshop that he was doing. And um, I met a ex-Buddhist monk who had left the monastery. And we ended up like having 24 hours of just like cool connection. But, and, you know, and the way that I met this guy was actually like through other friends, like we just shouldn't have ever met. It was this weird thing. Had a lot of chemistry, spoke and spoke and spoke. And at the end of this one day of hanging out, he sends me a follow-up email and says, have you ever heard about the Enneagram? Check out this book, Wisdom of the Enneagram. I just think that you're going to really like it. And I didn't look at it for maybe three or four months. It was just on my list of things to read, but something just kept calling me back to it, calling me back to it. And when I started reading the book, there was just this thing that woke up inside of me that um, is kind of that down-in-the-bones feeling that you were just talking about, John, that just suddenly like lit me on fire. And for the threes out there that have had this experience of when that passion and purpose like kind of gets ignited, I had no idea why I needed to know this or what I wanted to learn about it, but it was just click, 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 clicking a million things for me. Now, interestingly, when I read the wisdom of the Enneagram, my first thought was that I'm a three. And I sent it to people at work and I said, does this sound like me, the levels of development and things like that? And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, knowing nothing about the Enneagram. But then as I kept going through the growth process, um, I then started to wonder if I could be an eight. And I spent some time and there was also a lot of seven energy that was there, you know, but then I was like, well, I also can be really critical. There's this one-ish stuff, but I'm not very organized. And, you know, oh, I can see that little manipulative element of two. Like, could I actually be a two? And, wow, I can be really moody and push-pull like a four. And, oh, I have the anxiety of a six. So it was like all of these different points started highlighting for me. And um, I did mistype as an eight for a while. Very short time wondering about seven but um, really ended up landing back on three because um, as we talk more about different types, I don't have that vengeance um, thing in the way that eights are around the, the power control. For me, it's a much more emotional, reactive type of vengeance energy. Um, and the way that I moved away from seven was that I don't have that um, shameless self-regard that many sevens do. I can act like a seven and then feel horrible about it, you know, like right <laughs> after. So, you know, I love like, you know, I say I'm kind of a seven and an eight wannabe um, because there's a lot of things about those energies that seem powerful to me or are things that I want to have more of. And then in terms of um, my wing, I'm a three with a two wing, although I thought I was a four wing for a while because as I've been doing my personal growth work, I have been turning inwardly and I've been connecting with that four energy a lot more. But when I look at it, um, and I love how Big Hormone, you guys have these great names, and like the three with the two wing is what, the life coach or something, which gives me this cringy feeling, and yet that's <laughs> literally what I do all day. So yes, yeah, so the, the three with the two wing, it's re the reason I'm a doctor, it's the reason that I like personal growth, it's the reason I like coaching. So yeah, the three with the two wing, I come by honestly. And I also buy into TriFix, it really helped me to gain clarity over um, my own type. Um, I am a three with a seven and a one fix. 
the reason I'm loving this podcast is because on Big Hormone, it's the welcome to my TED Talk. And <laughs> that's kind of how I talk to everybody in my real life is in these little 20-minute blurbs that they really wanted a two-minute answer to. So this will be kind of fun. And in terms of my instinctual stack, um, you know, I have been pretty confused over my instinctual stack, primarily because um, I think that one of the things that we're going to discover as we do this work is that we have this basic programming that we've been running off of. And for me, um, you know, when I think back to my development, I think that I'm sexual blind because I was an awkward, geeky, bookish, kind of quiet kid that really had a hard time imagining myself as having any kind of sexual power like that wasn't how I was going to meet my instinctual needs and then you know I was raised by a mom who was Roman Catholic and had a lot of that Catholic stuff so you know it was almost like shameful to have that as well so I think that that um, was definitely not the way that I felt that my instinctual needs were going to be met so I vividly remember choosing my career as a primary care doctor because you know being a doctor for self-preservation, I mean, you're going to need primary care doctors wherever you go. It's like a safe like way that I can make my living. And, you know, when I came on social, you know, having kids and family and all of that has always been important to me as well, but um, not at the expense of self-preservation needs. You know, I like to get the right amount of sleep and, you know, the reason I do obesity medicine is that I really care about health and fitness and nutrition and, you know, my temperature and I like having a comfortable home and so these self-preservation things are really what how I lead my life and I would say that most of my struggles in intimate relationships have been because of the sexual blind spot there's a lot of elements around connecting that I think myself and many women and men um, are just not it doesn't come naturally, and it's something that in some ways I think is being bred out of us. And I'm really excited to even talk about, you know, why certain instinctual combinations are more common in the United States, um, which is, you know, my direct experience. And just really starting to dive into how all of this um, evolves. So, yeah, three wing two, three seven one trifix. Self-pres dominant, social middle, sexual blind. Cool. Well, uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Because I think that this might be a good place to like wrap this like episode. Yeah. And that I think um, you know because we've been talking about an hour, and I think what we can do is, uh, you know, like do another kind of thing like this again, but go into either theory like the models that we're working with or and or going into our own personal stories of our blind spots. Uh, what do you think? I think that going to the theory is the best place to start first because we did quite a bit of our story, at least the intro level. Yeah. And um, I just think that once people understand the theory a little bit more, we can then speak to the theory as we tell our stories to kind of flush that out. How does that sound? That sounds great. Cool. Yeah. Did you feel well, good thanks, about John. this? Yeah, I think that this was great. Uh, yeah, I love that you're just like, let's dive in. And I was like, all right. I'm like, we're just going to do it. So. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Take care.
If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review for us on Apple Podcasts, it helps us out a lot. And if you really enjoy our show and want to support John and I in creating more great content for you, you can go to our website, EnneagramBlindspots.com, and join our Patreon page where even $5 a month can really support our efforts to make this podcast sustainable without having to include annoying ads. On our website, you can also join our mailing list where John and I will send out offerings for webinars, discussion groups, and other great ways to continue learning with us. John and I also have personal coaching practices where you can sign up to work with us one-on-one as well as group offerings. John is currently offering a book study group on Zoom and Kara offers two classes on Wednesday evenings. In one class, she teaches mindfulness-based approaches for working with anxiety, unhealthy lifestyle habits, as well as unskillful habits of personality. She also teaches a class where she combines her knowledge of the Enneagram, resonant healing, and nonviolent communication for working through relational difficulties. And please buy John's book, The Instinctual Drives in the Enneagram, to get a deeper understanding of how working with your blind spot can really lead to personal transformation. We look forward to connecting with you soon.